0: might Listen to the sermons I've been preaching the past few weeks and think, you know, David, you're, you're really dabbling into politics a lot here. And, uh, and I think that's a sad commentary on the state of our society today. Um, I don't think it's so much that, that, that religion's become more political as it is that politics have become more religious. And uh, these are issues that historically, traditionally, have been the, the purview of pastors and theologians to talk about the nature and meaning and sanctity of human life. Uh, These were things that we typically could agree on about the nature and meaning of marriage or parental authority or the immutability of being made male and female or that the color of one's skin is not as important as the content of your character. And and America, really most of Western civilization, but especially the United States of America, was founded on a common set of principles and values, Judeo-Christian principles and values. We shared as a country a similar worldview based on biblical truth and principles. That's no longer true for a lot of our country. Back in 2007, then-Senator Barack Obama said, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. Now, we can debate whether or not a nation can ever really be Christian. You know, I mean, people are Christians, right? And we can comprise a nation. Uh, But America, there's no doubt, was founded on Christian truths and principles. People talk today about culture wars, but really what we are seeing is a conflict largely between two religions. One that was dominant for most of this country's history, that's Christianity and one that's on the rise. And that is a new, man-made, atheistic, naturalistic, humanistic religion. And it is a religion. It comes with its own worldview, its own answer to the questions, where do we come from, why are we here, where is the world going, what is its ultimate destiny, what is the evil? What is the source of evil and suffering, and what is its solution? Those are the questions a worldview answers. And depending on how you answer those questions, will determine how you think about and discuss and address the challenges that are facing us today, including what we're going to talk about today, and that's the environment. Now, as Americans, our concern for the national world uh, goes back you know at least 100-some-odd years to President Theodore Roosevelt. That's when really the big uh, ecological movement began and the founding of the national park systems, which my family are huge fans of the national park system. I think that's some of the best stuff that our government does is our national parks. And over the past hundred years, we as a country have been concerned about keeping our natural resources clean and accessible to all people, to protect and manage wildlife and forests and waterways. Uh, As a fact, as a kid, one of the characters I loved, one of my heroes, was this guy. Who is this? Smokey Bear. Only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. Do you remember this character? Who is it? Woodsy Owl. All right? Give a hoot, don't pollute. Don't pollute. That's right, yeah. I mean, I love these characters as kids, and we did a lot of camping in the Smoky Mountains, and they would even have people dress up, like in costume, as Smokey the Bear and Woodsy the Owl. And, and I had a little badge, you know, that I was a Smoky Bear Ranger and, and that kind of stuff. And they had books, and I had some of these books, Smokey the Bear, Smokey Bear and the Campers, Smokey Bear finds a helper. You know, Smokey Bear's just such a big, friendly, cuddly bear. But don't let Woodsy fool you. He may be a little owl, but he's going after biker gangs. Woodsy Owl and the trail bikers. He's going after organized crime rings. And kids, if you think that mountain biking's cool, that's the way that mountain bikers used to look. So that's just to let you know that right there. But maybe you remember this commercial. The Indian crying about the, the pollution and the litter, right? Or do you remember the Disney cartoon, uh, Litterbug, Litterbug, Shame on You, Look at the Terrible Things You Do? You guys remember that? So this was the, the, uh, the campaign uh, for environmentalism when I was growing up, but here's today's mascot for the environmental movement. I'm sorry, give me Woodsy Owl and Smokey Bear, right? I mean, that's, that's the stuff of nightmares. It just shows you our focus has shifted from preventing forest fires and keeping our land and water and air free of pollution to guilting and scaring people into not eating meat, driving cars, flying in planes, cooking with a gas stove, lighting a campfire. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the climate isn't changing. That's what climates do, right? They change. The climate is always been changing. Now, the question is that we don't have time to debate this morning. The question is whether human activity is a significant contributor to or accelerator of that climate change. And, and I've read studies on both sides of that argument and, 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 and both make some compelling cases. And a lot of them contradict with each other. And I know a lot of, pr- of prominent scientists, even in recent years, have come out talking about how a lot of the data is being falsified or a lot of false conclusions are being drawn because these scientists, largely funded by organizations that are pushing a certain narrative, and they feel pressured to go along with that narrative. Um, But there's no doubt, whichever you believe about man-made climate change, there's no doubt it's a big issue. And in fact, climate anxiety among young people is at an all-time high. A 2022 poll revealed 59% of youth And young adults said they were very or extremely worried about climate change. And more than 45% said their feelings about climate change were negatively impacting their daily life and functioning. In fact, it's one of the, according to anecdotal research and and polls, one of the leading reasons young people aren't getting married and having kids today is because of climate change. They're afraid. Why bring another polluter into the world? Why bring a child into a world that's going to melt with boiling oceans. How we think about these issues and how we care for the earth, again, depends on our worldview. So I want us to begin by looking this morning at what the Bible teaches us about where we've been, why we're here, why the world is the way it is today, and where it's all heading. We start in Genesis 1 with the original state of creation, which is very good. And you look with me at Genesis 26 and 27. Here we see there are three fundamental relationships that we have as human beings. And the first two are right here in verses 26 and 27. So God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So we see here our relationship with God and our relationship with each other as human beings. But then in verse 28, we get to another relationship. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Our relationship also with the rest of creation. These three relationships are vital. Remember back in Genesis 1, uh, verse 2, it says that the earth was formless and empty. It was tohu, vavohu. And the rest of Genesis 1 is about God filling and forming this blank cosmic canvas. And everything He creates, He calls very good. And I think that part of the goodness of creation is its potential for innovation, change, development, growth. And God created people to be a part of that, to continue His creative work of filling and forming the earth. And that includes things like gardening and agriculture and conservation and finding new and different ways of using the earth's natural resources to help human life To flourish. It includes studying and naming all of God's creatures. These were and are sacred work. And in the Garden of Eden, we read in Genesis 2 that this work was fulfilling. It was joyful. Nature was working hand in hand with Adam and Eve. It was the world as God envisioned it and made it, it's the world as it was meant to work. And I believe that moral reality still exists, even though it's been masked and marred by sin. And so we should still praise God for creating a good world. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. And Paul wrote in Romans 1.20, he said, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God still receives glory and honor from His creation. And we can still look at the night sky And we can still behold a beautiful vista and we can listen to the roar of the ocean and they still declare the glory and majesty of God. They point us back to where we came from, a very good creation. They point us to why this is all here for the glory of God. The second part of the story is the current state of creation, fallen and cursed. Now Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, Verses 18 through through 23. We heard this in our New Testament reading this morning. He talks about the suffering of this present time. It's not worth comparing with the glory that's coming, that's going to be revealed to us. He says, "...for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in the hope." that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. All human relationships were broken through the fall. In Genesis 3, we'll look at that in a couple of Sundays, but after Adam and Eve rejected God's definition of goodness and His purposes for them, we see relationships breaking apart. Adam and Eve hid from God. They hid from each other. They were banished from God's presence in Eden, and the earth, the ground itself, is cursed because of their sin. Just in, Let's just look at Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. Uh, Like I said, we'll look at this more fully in a few weeks. But it says, uh, God is speaking to Adam. He says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, the dust you will return our experience with the natural world is not what it was meant to be when we work now it's by the spread, the sweat of our brow creation is just as likely to harm us as it is to help us the passage God talks about thorns and thistles those are just specific examples of a broader category of ways in which the created world is out to get us there are plants and animals and bugs that are poisonous There are wild animals that want to eat you. There's natural disasters. There's diseases. There's all of these things. Things that were originally good have now been twisted and cursed and are against us. Paul describes it as creation groaning in the bondage to decay because it's been subjected to a curse. And as a result, we have to fight with the world, with the earth to have enough food to eat. We have to protect ourselves against the weather. We have to protect ourselves and our children against dangers and diseases that are just out there in the natural world. And so it's easy sometimes to lose sight of the goodness of God's world, but there's hope. Death, disease, and disaster do not get the final say. They've been imposed on creation temporarily. So we've looked at where we've been, we look at where we are today under the curse... But then thirdly, there's the future state of creation as renewed and restored. Paul, in Romans 8, doesn't describe the current state of creation as a lost cause, as being hopeless. In fact, he uses the word hope in there. He says in the hope that the creation has been subjected to futility in hope. What is that hope? Paul talks about creation groaning like a woman in labor. And that's a temporary state of suffering with this anticipation of something good and beautiful that's about to happen. That's how Paul describes our current state. Creation is eagerly awaiting redemption, restoration, renewal, and someday God will release His good world from its bondage to decay. Someday the curse will be removed. See, when Jesus died and rose again, it wasn't just to reconcile people to God and to each other. Jesus also came to liberate and reconcile all of God's good creation so that our relationship with God, with each other, and even with the earth itself will be restored. And that abundant peace and prosperity we read about in Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden, it will be realized once again. Peter talked about it this way in 2 Peter 3.13. He said that based on God's promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new heaven, a new earth. John writes about this in his vision in Revelation 21, 1-5. through He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard from the throne a loud voice, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. The renewed creation. Heaven and earth dwelling together in harmony is described by John in the next chapter in language very similar to Eden. Look at Revelation 22, verses 1-3. through Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation's And there will no longer be any curse. The Old Testament prophets used similar Edenic language. Isaiah describes how wolves and lambs, leopards and goats, lions and calves will lie down together. Toddlers will play with cobras and none of them will hurt the other. Amos 9.13 describes how creation will be filled with abundant resources that will never be depleted. He said, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. You can't harvest fast enough before it's all being planted again is what he's saying. Abundant prosperity. We have to remember that God cares deeply about His good world. And Psalm 104 describes how God is actively working today to sustain His creation. It says, All of them, meaning all of the animals and the creatures, wait for you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your breath, they are created. And you renew the surface of the ground. God made this world. He cares about it. And He will reclaim His good world and make it new once again. He will destroy sin and Satan and He will cleanse the earth. Not with a flood. Not like He's trying to wash away a dirty spot. No, He will cleanse it, Peter says, with fire. Because fire transforms, doesn't it? Fire cleanses on a deeper level. Fire will come and will remove every vestige of sin and the curse and destroy it and make the earth new. The fire's not there to destroy the world that God has made, but to make it new, to completely rid it of tears and death and grief and pain and disease. Those former things will pass away and God will make everything new. Amen? It's going to be a glorious day understanding that God has made a good world for His glory and that through sin we've corrupted it and it is currently suffering under a curse, but that God isn't finished with it yet and that someday when Christ returns, He will renew the earth. When we understand all of that, then we can think and discuss and act biblically in this world, in our environment. How does God want us to treat the natural world? Land, air, trees, water, animals. What is our responsibility as human beings, and more importantly, as Christians? What is our responsibility? And how, as followers of Jesus, are we to respond to the modern day environmental movement? And that brings us to my final point our mandate. Our mandate is to be good stewards of God's good creation. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to thinking about and interacting with nature, and we need to avoid both in favor of this biblical mandate. The first extreme, we are not to worship God's creation. We're not to worship it. Remember that distinction we talked about many weeks ago? There's a distinction between the Creator and His creation. God is holy. He is set apart and distinct from His creation. So, as Christians, we need to disassociate with language, you know, talking about like Mother Earth and Mother Nature. Nature and the Earth are not our mother, they're more like our sister, right? The Earth is a fellow created thing like we are. We have one God and Father, and He is the creator of us and the Earth, and to talk about it in any other way is really an insult to God. That's a pantheistic view. We need to avoid this view that, that nature is somehow divine that it is perfect, and that without humanity, it's pristine. And sadly, the extreme environmentalists have hijacked what was once a Christian concern, stewardship of the earth, and really has turned it into a religion of its own. I mean, think about it. They have their own origin myth, evolution. I'd say that's an origin myth. And they have their own view about how the world's going to end, cataclysmic climate change, right? The the oceans are going to boil or we're going to all be flooded out and somehow we're all going to die because you drive an SUV. In fact, a few years ago, the Secretary General of the UN said this, our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. We're on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. That sounds fairly religious and apocalyptic language to me. They even have their own list of sins. In fact, one professor who himself is, a, is, is not a Christian and is an environmentalist, he described it this way. He said, instead of religious sins plaguing our conscience, we don't have the transgressions of leaving the water running, leaving the lights on, failing to recycle, using plastic grocery bags instead of paper. By the way, do you remember when plastic grocery bags came out, it was to save the trees? <laughs> he said the new heresies include failure to compost or refusal to go organic. And then in the article, he goes on to describe how a six-year-old son scolded him one day for leaving the water running too long while he was brushing his teeth. And he observed, quote, how his son was stressed and anxious about the sins of environmentalism. That anxiety I was talking about earlier that's plaguing young people today. But when we keep in mind that while God's good creation is fallen and cursed today, it will someday be renewed that can transform our anxiety about the creation into worship for the Creator. And it can help us approach a proper stewardship of God's good world. Because remember, it's His, not ours. He cared about it first, and He cares about it more deeply than you and I ever could. Psalm 24 says, "...the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, it all belongs to the Lord, for He laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers." The world is His. But then Psalm 115, 16 says, "...the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the human race." Now, which is it? Are those verses contradictory? No, they're complementary. You see, the earth is the Lord's by the fact of His creation. It's ours by the fact of His delegation. He has entrusted the earth to us. He has put its care under our authority. He retains ownership... He retains the right to do with it as he, is, as he pleases, but He has given us the responsibility to preserve what is good in the world and to develop it further for future good. So we're not to worship the earth, but secondly, neither are we to exploit God's good creation. And sadly, a lot of people have misunderstood the two key words in that mandate that God gives us in Genesis 1, to subdue the earth and rule it. Now, those two Hebrew words for subdue and rule are very similar and they both mean to tread upon or to trample. That sounds pretty harsh. You know, God tells us to trample His creation. That sounds kind of wrong. You have to understand in that context in which this was written, those words were commonly used of a king's authority over his kingdom. Okay? you know, You think about like ancient England. You didn't have the right to go into the king's forest and hunt his deer. He could trample on that. You could not. It's the idea that this land belongs to the king. It's his to do with as he pleases, not for his subjects to do with as they please. But in Genesis 1, that language is applied to us as bearers of his image, as the people put here to rule on his behalf in his creation. Some translations use the word dominion. I like that word because it means authority to govern or rule. It comes from the Latin word dominus, which means master. We think about to dominate. You have authority over something. So for human beings to have dominion over the rest of creation means that God has given us the right to rule on His behalf. But as any manager will tell you, if you're managing something, you do it according to the owner's values, goals, and objectives, right? I mean, Chick-fil-A is not going to stand for some owner-operator to decide they're going to open up on Sundays. Not going to happen, right? Right? Or you think about some, uh, you hire a landscape company to mow your yard and to mulch your flower beds and to trim your bushes. They don't do that however they want to do it. They want to please you, right, as the owner. You have somebody coming in to clean your home or your business. Your house is not for them just to go through and do whatever they want with the stuff, is it? I don't like that painting. I'm throwing it away. No, they can't do that. Or somebody who's. Uh, grooming your pet or cutting your hair or educating your child they operate under your authority they can't just do whatever they want to do and that's the same for us the earth was not Adam and Eve to do with as they pleased having dominion doesn't mean we get to exploit God's good world for sinful or selfish reasons rather we're to develop it according to God's ordering and His definition of what is good so we should neither treat nature as if it were God, nor as if we were God. You understand? God has given us dominion not to destroy His good world, but to care for it. And that's, so that's the third option right there. We don't worship it. We don't exploit it. We are to care for God's creation. He has called us to manage the earth so that life, especially human life, flourishes. God's blessed us with a world rich in resources and beauty for us to enjoy for His glory and our good. So when it comes to the ways in which Christians are to approach these issues of the environment and ecology and preservation, we need to make sure we approach it from a biblical worldview. Because there's a lot of, I think, maybe even well-meaning efforts out there to try to take care of the earth that that's sort of like the plastic bags fiasco, right? Ends up doing more harm than good. And so there's some questions that we can ask to make sure that our methods and our motives for caring for God's earth are biblical. I just want to go over those real quick as we close. The first question, am I doing this out of guilt or for God's glory? Right? Am I doing this for guilt or, out of, or for God's glory? Uh, we should never let people make us feel guilty for reasonably living our lives. Taking a vacation. Grilling some steaks in the backyard swimming in your pool. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with any of that. we should never do anything to care for creation out of some effort to assuage some kind of misplaced guilt for enjoying the good things that God has given us. Rather, as Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So the first question, your motive, are you doing this out of a sense of guilt or are you doing this for the glory of God? Second question, do I have an attitude of gratitude? Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, he says, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected that is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer. It's hard to take something for granted, to abuse or to misuse or to waste it if you're grateful for it. Amen? Right? Right? Because if you have gratitude for something, it means you understand its inherent worth and value and it's, that it's precious. So if you're truly grateful for something, you're not going to misuse it. You're not going to mistreat it. You're not going to let it go to waste. So one of the best ways we can take good care of the earth is simply develop an attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness to God. That's why we should pray and ask God to you know, give God thanks before we eat because it reminds us of the goodness of what He has given us and we shouldn't be wasteful. Third question, do I trust God's providential care? And a question that goes with that, an underlying assumption behind this whole debate, did God design a fragile earth or a resilient one? Is the earth fragile or resilient? If we're to believe the alarmists, we think the earth was incredibly fragile. And even the slightest change in our behavior will either doom the planet or save it. Somehow that's in our power. Now, again, I'm not saying there aren't concerns about pollution or poor land, land management or even rising global temperatures. There is a lot for us to be aware of. And there is a lot of work for us to do to address these concerns. But I believe that God created a resilient creation capable of adapting. It's, it's people who have a hard time adapting, right? We're the ones that are stubborn and have a hard time changing. And I think it's the height of arrogance to think that we can somehow make the climate or the weather adapt to suit us. When instead, maybe we need to look at how we should be adapting in light of it. We are much better at changing our behaviors and finding innovative ways for us to adapt and live to the environment than we are somehow trying like a James Bond villain to control the weather. Jeremiah 5 says, Do not tremble before me. The one who set the sand as the boundary of the sea, an enduring barrier that it cannot cross. The waves surge, but they cannot prevail. They roar, but cannot pass over it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and have gone away. They have not said to themselves, let's fear the Lord our God who gives the seasonal rains, both autumn and spring, who guarantees to us the fixed weeks of the harvest. Your guilty acts have diverted these things from you. Your sins have withheld my bounty from you. Listen, our chief concern should be changing people's hearts. It should be living in fear of the Lord. He is the source of the sunshine and the rain. He is the one who ensures the harvest comes. We should be good stewards and live wisely with grateful hearts, trusting in God's providential care. He is our good shepherd. And when we trust in Him, we will not want. Fourth question, how will this help people to thrive? You know, there's this mythical ideal of what the earth was like before we pesky, polluting humans came along. And again, that's all driven by Darwinian evolution. That's not a biblical way of looking at things. The earth was created to sustain human life and help it to flourish to the glory of God. We should work to find ways to preserve all that's good in God's world, but never at the expense of of human lives and well-being. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 10 11 says, each of you should use whatever gifts you you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whether we're talking about spiritual gifts or talking about physical resources, God has entrusted things to us. We're to be good stewards of them for the benefit of others, of serving other people. So we need to make sure that whatever we do, we prioritize human well-being, human flourishing over some rare mosquito that might go extinct next week. Number five, am I loving my neighbor? know, one of the best and simplest ways that we can be good stewards of the natural world is simply consider the needs of others before our own. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to throw trash over the fence into their yard, Right? I hope you don't do that. I'm going to want to keep lakes and rivers and mountains and beaches clean and safe and beautiful for everyone to enjoy. If I love my neighbor, I'm going to strive to do what Smokey and Woodsy taught me to do and that's leave things better than the way I found them. Those are all ways in which we love our neighbor and put the needs of others before our own. Amen? That's simple. Any child can understand those ideas. Another question, am I being wasteful or generous? Sort of like with gratitude, it's hard to be wasteful if you're generous. One of the unintended side effects of the environmental extremism of today has been a decreasing interest in lifting the poor out of poverty, especially helping third world countries to reach our level of comfort and care because to do that requires fossil fuels. It requires modern conveniences. It requires more greenhouse gases, and there are those who literally prefer to keep the third world third world in order to save the planet. A lot of the efforts offered in the name of stopping climate change are simply unaffordable to most people. So rather than approach life with this assumption of scarcity, we need to embrace the idea that God has created a world of rich abundance. I mean, all my life, I've heard fear-mongering. I can remember as a kid hearing people talk about that we're going to run out of fossil fuels in the next 25 years. I'm sad to say that was lo- longer than 25 years ago. And I can still put gas in my car. Or that there's going to be water wars in the future. Or that there's going to be overpopulation, and so there's going to be massive hunger you know, and, and, and famines throughout. The- I've heard that all my life. And while we should acknowledge and give thanks for and manage wisely all the resources... That God has given us, treating every one of them as precious and limited. We should. We have to balance that with trust in His providential care. We need to recognize that God has created a resilient earth, He has richly blessed us, and so we can be generous without being wasteful. What's the old saying? Waste not, want not. And I think that's a good principle to live by. But don't live tight fisted. Use what God has given you wisely to the benefit of other people, to meet other people's needs. Don't be wasteful, but be generous. You know, ultimately, what we should use the goodness of God's world for is to meet other people's needs in the name of Jesus and to share with them the gospel. Caring for God's world is a gospel issue because guess who lives in God's world? People. People that God created in His image and loves and Jesus died for. And the way we treat the earth, as Ben was saying, is a reflection and directly connected to how we treat other people. And we need to be all about making sure people know that while we live in a sinful world that's fallen and cursed, and while each and every one of us are sinners and are guilty of putting ourselves before others, are guilty of rejecting God's plan for us and and thinking that we know better and we can live life better on our own, that while that is true... God created us and loves us, and God sent Jesus his Son to die on the cross to redeem us from our sin. Just as we've talked about the earth, where it was, created very good, where it is, fallen and cursed, and where it's going, renewed and restored, the same is true for every human being. We were created in God's image as very good, and every child in the womb is created by God, known by God, loved by God, but we are all sinners and we're guilty. And we deserve the curse that we are under because of our sin. But Jesus died on the cross so you could put your faith and trust in Him and you could be renewed and restored. Paul says that each and every one of us can be new creations. The old us can pass away and we can become new again in Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You recognize how your life is sort of a wreck how you have made a mess of things in your life, not just you know, talking about like polluting the world, but you've polluted your heart and your mind with things that you wish you hadn't done, things you wish you hadn't seen, things you wish you hadn't said. I want you to know today that God knows you and He loves you, but He doesn't want to leave you the way you are. And if you come today and you trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you, He will forgive you of your sin. He will renew your mind. He will transform you from the inside out. And He will give you a glorious purpose. Will you put your trust and faith in Jesus? If you've not done that today, we're going to stand and sing in a moment. I invite you to come and do that right now. It's simple. It's as simple as waste not, want not. It's as simple as give a hoot, don't pollute. All you have to do is say, Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. I believe You died on the cross and rose from the dead to save me from my sins. And I ask you to forgive me and live inside of me and help me to follow you. Will you say that today? If you never have, I pray you will. Maybe God's laying something else on your heart to unite with this church family, to recommit your life to being the kind of Christian, the kind of steward that God would have you to be. Maybe God has impressed on your heart a burden for someone that you know that is lost, that you need to be sharing this good news with. Whatever God is speaking to you, let's be obedient to Him. Would you stand and pray with me? You come as God leads you. Father... We are thankful for this good world that you have made. We're thankful, Lord, for just the creativity, for the abundance. Lord, for a world that is still, despite all of our knowledge and science and technology, is still largely a mystery. We're learning new stuff about it all the time. God, may that make us humble, and may that make that make us grateful, and may that make us depend upon you to trust in your wisdom, to trust in your provision. God, help us to be wise and good stewards with all the resources you've blessed us with, Lord, to use them for our good and for your glory, to help this world to flourish. God, forgive us when we operate in selfish and sinful ways and, and ways that have no gratitude and ways that are just simply wasteful or lazy. God, forgive us for that. Help us to be a witness and an example to the world by the way we treat each other and the way we treat the world you have made. God, if there's anyone here today that needs their heart and mind to be made new again by Jesus, I pray they would come. It's in His name we pray. Amen.